Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. from ESPN Blacksburg here in beautiful downtown Blacksburg, Virginia. I'm joined today by the two usual suspects. First, up in Northern Virginia, we have the one and only Mike McDaniel. Mike, how you doing? I'm at the beach. Oh, you're not in Northern Virginia. Where are you at? Bethany Beach? Bethany Beach. Yeah. That's your, That's your spot. Full week off, Mike? No, no, no. I'm, I'm, I'm still working. Just uh, work working from the beach. Uh, yeah, we'll work from home. Going. Well, someone else lives at the beach, and his name is Ricky LeBlue. Ricky, what's going on? You still working, too? What the hell is Bethany Beach? The Delaware. Yeah, near oh. uh, Rehoboth. Ocean City, Maryland. That area. It's, a, yeah. it's one of the wide variety of Nova Dude vacation spots. Sounds too sounds a little yuppie for me, but uh <laughs> <laughs> no, hey, I'm, I'm good. I'm just slumming it here in Virginia Beach. <laughs> right. Be- Bethany Beach is filled with old people and families. Yeah, definitely. Definitely outside of uh, go to my, outside I, of Virginia Beach. I'm a Dewey Beach guy. I'm a Dewey Beach guy. What the hell is Dewey Beach? Another beach in Delaware. Oh, it, that's much more young people, good times oriented. Uh, getaway bars. Yes, bars. Yes. Ah, <laughs> we okay. saw Scott Van Pelt. Ricky, I told you that story before. Oh yeah, that's right. My bad. <laughs> but yeah, let's get right into it right now. As Mike McDaniel sips on his. <laughs> He seems to have found his beach both literally and figuratively. And you can find your beach, but you can't go to the beach if you're sick. If you're sick or you just need medication, look no further than Main Street Pharmacy. Main Street Pharmacy in downtown Blacksburg is the pharmacy that you want to go to if you want a health provider that truly cares about you. Be a neighbor, not a number, my friends. Look no further than Main Street Pharmacy. Jeremy Counts and his wonderful staff will take care of everything you need. So I want to get started here. We're talking media day, ACC media day, first time in a couple of years, uh, you know, the, the pageantry of it all, every team goes down with their head coach and, and three players and they get to face the media and, and talk about the burning questions heading into their season. Justin Fuente went alongside Braxton Burmeister, Jamari Connor and James Mitchell. One thing that stuck out to me, and you both went ahead and tweeted it on Twitter. So I know we're both going to be all cute into this, into this uh, conversation, this situation. When asked about Braxton Burmeister and the passing game, Fuente said that he feels more comfortable with the passing game today than he has at any point in his tenure, save that 2016 season where he had Isaiah Ford and Bucky Hodges to throw it up to. Ricky, I want to start with you. What do you make of Fuente's assessment of the passing game right now? Well, we better see it on September 3rd. Um, I, I'm not really sure where the confidence is coming from. I guess maybe he has a lot of confidence in his uh, his playmakers. Maybe he's 
a bit more confident in Braxton Burmeister as a passer than I am. Um, but that's where I guess this, this, this confidence is coming from. From my perspective, I, I don't think that this is the best passing team that Tech has had since 2016. Um, I'm, I'm not all that high on Virginia Tech's pass catchers outside of James Mitchell. And um, that, that goes to a couple of things. Number one, I do, I do think Tavion is a bit limited in terms of the kinds of stuff that he can excel at. And that's not to try and dig at the guy. He's just a, he is a specific tool that you have in the toolbox. Trey Turner, as much as I, I, I like Trey and I think he's an excellent guy for the program. I'm not all that certain that Trey has developed a lot as a receiver uh, in his career at tech. He's, He's very similar to the same exact Trey Turner that showed up on campus when he first signed. Um, and then you have James Mitchell, who I, I think James Mitchell is an, an excellent athlete. I think he's an excellent person in the locker room. But going back to previous uh, issues with Virginia Tech tight ends, it kind of boils down to whether or not Brad Cornelson is going to employ them properly. So you look at this this group of pass catchers and the quarterback and there I have as many questions now as I've had at any point in in Justin Fuente's tenure outside of 2016 so I'm not really sure where that confidence is coming from but you know we'll see how it looks in what like a month and a, in a couple weeks um, and we'll see if he's able to take all of that off-field comfort and translate it into on-field production. Mike, it's definitely an interesting comment given the arsenal of wide receivers that Virginia Tech has had over the years. Now, he did clarify that with Isaiah and Bucky, that was obviously a better situation. Josh Jackson was a very conservative quarterback, but he was very effective. Ryan Willis was obviously a loose cannon, and with Hendon Hooker, it seemed to differ on a game-to-game basis. I'll put it like that. So do you feel like Braxton Burmeister can bring that kind of dynamic? I mean, we saw him improve in the passing game over the course of the season, but the lows were low. It depends on what guy we get at quarterback. I mean, Braxton Burmeister was seven for 11 against NC state. He was nine for 25 against Duke. He was seven for 15 against North Carolina none of those stats are really all that impressive. Um, he didn't turn the football over, which was good. But then you look at, you know, at the end of the season, you know, he ta- he plays against Clemson, goes 10 to 12 for 127 yards, goes 15 for 22 for 212 and a touchdown against UVA. So, you know, he struggled early in the year and then he came back from injury later in the year and completed almost 74% of his passes the last two games. So it's Jekyll and Hyde. I, I tend to side with Ricky on this. I don't really understand where the confidence comes from. Although I will say this, one of the criticisms of Hendon Hooker um, that we have discussed on this podcast and that others have discussed on, on other podcasts and film breakdowns and people breaking this down are way smarter than I am. Hooker at times struggled going through his progressions and Burmeister appeared to have that same issue early in the season last year, and then appeared to be much better at it towards the end of the year. If Fuente is under the impression that Burmeister can get through his reads a bit more effectively and cognitively break things down in the passing game better than Hendon Hooker, 
and Fuente believes that Burmeister can stay healthy and be more like the guy we saw the last two games of the year versus the first three games of the year that he started, then maybe he should feel good about the passing game. But I got to see more of it. Um, I haven't seen enough of Burmeister to really make a determination. I mean, I, I saw him struggle. I saw him get hurt. And then I saw him play well at the end of the year. I know that he's got some things he's good at. He's extremely athletic. He's fast. Um, he's good in the read option game. We saw all that consistently when he played last year. Um, he was good in the running game against NC State Duke in North Carolina. His rushing stats don't pop, but he was making the right reads in the running game. We talked about that. We were more concerned about the passing game earlier on in the year. And then it looked like he started to put things together towards the end of the year when he came back in and relief ahead in Hooker. I also wonder, like Ricky alluded to, if Fuente is just more confident in his pass catchers now than he has been in a few years. But when I think about it, James Mitchell, very good player, right? Good tight end. Allegedly, he's put on five, five or 10 pounds and feels like he's keeping the same speed and athleticism. And if that's the case, that, that's really good. Um, Trey Turner's the same guy he's been all throughout his time at Virginia Tech. He was really good as a freshman. You know, he had 26 catches for 535 yards and four touchdowns as a freshman. He was averaging almost 21 yards per catch. When we saw that when he was a freshman, we were thinking he was going to be a big-time player and he was going to, you know, kind of use that as a jumping-off point and turn into an Isaiah Ford or Cam Phillips type. He really hasn't done that. He's been the same his, player. His production his has basically been the same all three years. Look at the stats. It's actually, it's actually sick. Exactly. Um, 26 catches for 535 and four touchdowns in 2018. As a sophomore in 2019, 34 catches, 553 yards, four touchdowns. So yards per catch down to 16.3, but he's putting up about the same stats. 2020, 34 catches, literally the exact same as his sophomore year. 34 catches for 529 yards, so again, slightly, slightly lower number there. So he's averaging 15.6 yards per catch, three touchdowns. He's averaging about three or four touchdowns a year. He's averaging about 550 yards receiving a year. He's averaging 17.2 yards per catch over his three seasons. Good stats. He's a good, reliable receiver for Tech. If he's healthy. If he's healthy, but Tech's asking him to be the number one guy. And what we thought we were going to get out, Trey Turner. James Mitchell not really the number one guy in the passing game, though? I I don't think he's the number one wide receiver. There's a difference. Yeah. Cornelson doesn't – let's call it what it is. Cornelson doesn't utilize the tight ends as much as he could, right? So, so in my opinion, in order to be the number one guy – you got to be putting them number one stats and Mitchell has the capability of being the number one guy. If they pepper him with targets, the problem is I'm not sure they're going to do that consistently enough. And Trey Turner is a good receiver. He's reliable when he's healthy. He catches, you know, he catches everything. They call him big play Trey because he averages like 16, 17 yards per catch. But I thought that we'd get more out of him after his freshman year. And he's really been the same consistent player, which is good, but I thought he would be a lot, end up being a lot better by the time he got to his, junior senior season and we really just haven't seen that he's been consistent but i thought he'd be great yeah it definitely is interesting and to kind of sprinkle some drama on all this i'm looking at the quote from justin fuente which was tweeted out by andy bitter and this is the full quote that includes the fact that he said that with the exception of in 2016 i knew there were two guys where we could just chuck the ball up there and they were going to catch it more times than not looking at this we got a reply from trey turner's mom so the wide receivers won't catch it if you catch th- if you chuck it up there. Interesting. 
glad it's senior season exclamation point. So that's some shade right there a little bit, but at the end of the day, I, I understand with the receiving core and, and you may have seen that Eric McLean of ACC network ranked Virginia tech's wide receiver slash tight end group as the best in the ACC. Now, I don't know if I would go that far, but with Turner coming back with Robinson, we know what he can do. James Mitchell is an NFL prospect and Jaden payout. Are we as high on him as we used to be given the injury? Because Justin Fuentes seems to be Braxton Burmeister certainly seems to be today in the press conference. He said that payout was the only person on the team that was more athletic than him. Now it was in jest, obviously that he was claiming himself to be the most athletic other than this guy, but they're the ones working out together. Could that mean something? Because every report that we heard about payout coming in was nothing but positive. The injury in the offseason last year obviously put a delay on when we could see what he can do. But now, you know, third year in the program, I assume age 20, 21 years old, it could be a breakout season for him. And that really gives you a variety of wide receivers. The question is, are we going to get the Braxton Burmeister that can deliver them the ball? Yeah, that's that's the question for me. And I think that's the biggest question of the offseason for Virginia Tech on the offensive side of the ball. Um, and, and I don't know what the answer is to the question about Jaden Payout. I don't. Um, I mean, I, I don't see why I, I wouldn't be as high on him until, you know, he shows me otherwise. I mean, I, I understand he had a he had surgery on his foot, um, but I still haven't seen him play. So the next time will be the first time for me. So sure. I mean, I could, uh, my expectations could be tempered a little bit because he got hurt last year, but I, I don't really know what to expect. Everybody's saying he's really athletic and obviously a big receiver and was a four-star guy that tech got a few years back. So um, obviously expectations were high going into your last year until he got hurt. Um, expectations, I think need to continue to remain high until I see until I see otherwise, I, I assume he's fully healthy and a full go. Um, nobody's indicated that he won't be practicing in fall camp and he won't be a hundred percent. I know he was a little bit limited in the spring, but you know, the coaching staff was talking like he'd be ready to go for fall camp. So, I mean, let's, let's see what we got there. And uh, one other thing too, Ricky mentioned uh, Tavion Robinson. I, I agree. I mean, he's, he kind of is who he is. He's really fast. Um, good slot receiver, uh, pretty good in, in, in the punt return, kick return game. I'm interested to see how he's deployed this fall, especially when he's with not muffing younger guys punts. when he's not <laughs> muffing punts. Yeah. When he doesn't have the yips, he's, he's good. Um, so we'll see. All right, here's another thing that I found to be interesting. And this is just generally a break away from the way we've seen Justin Fuente operate over the course of the now Five years that he's been here in Blacksburg, five plus years for that matter. Devon Hunter allowed right back into the program after disciplinary issues. Normally, it seems like if you got in trouble, you'd be shown the door. Hunter given the grace. Now, the question is, what role will he play? Mike, I know that you were watching Media Day in its entirety. What did Fuente have to say about Hunter? And how do you think, after hearing this, he'll play into Virginia Tech's defense. Is it a starting role going forward? 
he's going to be back there competing for playing time with Devin Taylor and Tay Daly, but I don't know if he's going to be the starter right away. Virginia Tech's got some, got some questions. I, I don't mean from a depth or talent standpoint. They got a lot of talented guys in the secondary, but they have, they have some questions to answer in fall camp as far as who's going to be playing with the ones. Um, you know, there are some pretty talented defensive backs in that backfield. I mean, it's safe to say Chamari Connor is going to play a lot. Waller, uh, supposedly healthy. We'll see. Dorian Strong was a freshman All-American last year. I anticipate he'll be playing a good bit. Devin Taylor uh, was hurt in the spring, so he's still working his way back. And then Tay Daly is a, you know, All-SEC type player from Vanderbilt, of all places, which historically has not been a very good program, but he's a very good player. So I don't think he transfers into a program if he's not anticipating he's going to get some playing time. So, yeah, there, there are certainly some questions back there um, in, the, in the secondary in regard to, you know, who's going to be starting. But I'm interested to see how Hunter fits into the fold because, you know, Ricky and I were hyping him up last offseason before, um, you know, before he got in trouble criminally. And we were talking about how he had an opportunity to really kind of jump in and seize a role on defense for the first time in his career things didn't work out and now you have a pretty crowded defensive backfield that it's going to be it's going to be tough for him I think I, I do think he'll play I think he'll find himself some playing time in the rotation but I don't think it's a shoe in that he starts my issue with Devin <clears throat> has always and this is strictly on the field this has nothing to do with the off the field stuff my issue with Devin is Devin got too big so for those who remember Devin's recruitment in the class of 2017, Devin was sitting about 2-0, And that's kind of an ideal range for, for your safeties because most safeties can't operate at, at a fast enough speed at 220 plus. Well, going into last season, Devin was at 227. Currently, Tech lists him at 220. I don't think that Devin has the the natural speed to be able to play at that weight at the speed he needs to play at. It, in the time that I've seen him on the field, he's always looked a little slow. And, I, you know, I've always wondered whether he would make a move to linebacker um, or if he would be able to kind of play in, in that nickel whip role. But ultimately, I do think that the the boundary safety spot is the best place for him. But Devin's ability and coverage has always worried me because I've always felt like he's exploitable in that, in that regard. Um, but if you want to talk about someone who is desperate to make things happen and is probably going to outwork everyone else on the team because of the stuff that he has endured over the last year, you'd be hard pressed to find someone that's going to put more effort in than Devin, I feel. So it would not shock me if Devin comes back and, and he starts to show what he's capable of. Um, we, we are certainly that we, we certainly have lowered expectations on what the original hype surrounding Devin Hunter was, was that he was going to be this all Americans, you know, type player at this point, if he could be a reliable starter, that would be nice. Um, but time will tell. I, 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 I'm kind of split on Tay Daly. Part of me thinks that he has a chance to be something really good. Um, I just haven't been able to see him 
yet. So I don't really have a, a legitimate opinion on him at the moment. Um, but Devin Hunter is going to outwork just about everybody on that team. And it wouldn't shock me if he's able to step up into a serious role. What'd you guys make oh, voice crack? What did you guys make of Justin Fuente's demeanor overall? He, he, he in my mind, he seemed to be very at ease from your experiences. I, I know Ricky, you've worked around Fuente many times. I've worked around Fuente many times. Mike, your media passes are newer, but you've been sitting in all those virtual press conferences. He definitely seemed to be more relaxed. Now, is that just a product of the fact that it's the off season? But for a guy going into a do or die year, seemed pretty chilled out. I think he likes the way things are going, which is weird to say, because like on the field, it hasn't been very good, but there have been some positive things happening around the football program off the field. I mean, they, the student athlete performance center is complete. You know, the locker room renovations are complete. The meeting areas for the team, um, the meeting rooms, position meeting rooms are complete. Um, new dining hall for the athletes. They're close to completion, or at least they, they will be closer to completion, I guess, this fall on the new dorms for the for football players. So he's feeling better about where things are at. You guys will remember, you know, when he almost left for Baylor, that was a big thing for him, right? Was facilities and upgrades that were needed, infrastructure needed in the program. He's kind of getting what he wanted from that standpoint. And, you know, he's getting some help with his recruiting staff and, you know, it's, it's early in the cycle, but, you know, the recruiting has been better, you know, tech just lands Gunnar Givens or second four star of this cycle in the state of Virginia, which I desperately needed on the offensive line. I mean, things have been trending in a pretty good direction for tech this off season, short of losing Daryl Tapp, but you bring in JC price, which is a very good hire. Um, and then of course it's the Atuti situation, which was bad and kind of out of nowhere. Uh, but outside of that, I mean, things have been trending in a, in a good direction from a pure football standpoint. But I think Fuente knows like this is a really important year for him. Anything short of eight wins, I think puts his job in serious jeopardy. Um, I have a hard time seeing him stick around if it's like a seven and five type year again. Um, it's, it's too much stagnation, too much running in place. I think if he gets his team to eight and four, you know, obviously, or better, which would shock me. Um, with improved recruiting, if he's able to get these guys to sign on the dotted line, then I think Witt can, you know, talk through it with the boosters and, you know, the powers that be and say, look, like, this is kind of the blueprint. You know, this is kind of what our plan was when I decided to keep him last December. Um but you can't make that pitch if you're not winning games on the field. And I think that's, that's the biggest thing this fall, but I think he's at ease and relaxed from the standpoint of things have been, I think he feels like trending in a better direction. Mike is right. Um, Fuente does feel like things are heading in a pretty good direction. And in terms of the program, you know, in a vacuum, if you if you ignore the Isiotuti stuff, which is, you know, obviously really hard to ignore, but in the grand scheme of things, that is not going to have an outsized impact on the on the program, I don't believe. Um, 
things are heading in a decent direction. Like you, as much as people may be upset with Justin's tenure and there's plenty of reason to be, um, this off season has gone relatively well. And it's important to note that, but like Mike said, you can have a good off season. You can win the off season like your uh, Bruce Allen, <laughs> but it, in the end, if you're not winning games on the field, had to slide nobody, that in there, didn't you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, nobody cares, you know? So if tech goes out there and they lose the opener to, to Carolina, they lose to West Virginia on the road in game three, and they lose to Notre Dame in game five. You're telling me that Tech goes two and three in the first five games and this fan base isn't on full DEFCON two? Like, this this season could get out of hand really fast. Like, we're, we're going to have a pretty good handle on this season, I think, through the first five weeks. It's not like a lot of years where there's a bunch of cupcake games for the first month, month and a half of the schedule and stats get inflated and and guys are performing really well against inferior competition. And then they run into the ACC schedule and they start to uh, plateau or they just flat out get beat. And next thing you know, the season spirals. Um, That's not going to be the case with this year. I mean, arguably three of the best teams they're going to play all year in the first five weeks. Now, you could make an argument that West Virginia is not all that good, but I would argue that West Virginia is still one of the more talented programs on the schedule. And if Tech goes two and three in their first five games, um, including two of those three losses being at home, one of which is going to be in a primetime situation um, against Carolina, the other one is going to be a primetime situation against Notre Dame, even though it's on the ACC network. Yeah, no kidding. Uh um things things could get out of hand really quick so all of this positive momentum that's great and trust me i've it's been nice as a as an alum as a tech fan as someone who's been following tech football since i was in middle school uh it, it it's been nice to see things trending in the right direction you know kind of like they were in 2016 but Ultimately, the results have to be there on the field. And if they don't make it through the first, and you, you, even, you can even include that, that sixth game against Pittsburgh. It, I mean, if they don't make it through the first six weeks of the schedule, this year's toast. And it's going to get, it's going to be an ugly year because Fuente is going to be written about as the, the perennial hot seat candidate for the remainder of the seven, eight weeks of the season. And that's that can derail shit really, really fast. All right, Ricky, what constitutes making it through the beginning of the schedule? Is winning one of the three games between North Carolina, Notre Dame, and West Virginia, does that count as making it through, not getting clean swept, coming out of that situation three and two, and then being able to try to attack your more, I suppose, at least on paper going into the season, evenly matched ACC opponents, which, by the way, if you look at football power index, West Virginia below Virginia Tech. Now, what that's worth, obviously not much, but especially when you have to go on the road. But nonetheless, what constitutes making it through? Because I see some people on Twitter, some being sarcastic, some not, 
talking about the possibility of Virginia Tech going 4-0 into the Notre Dame game. And it's like, okay, well, that's probably not going to happen. It could, theory. I mean, it's, it's a possibility that remains, just as losing to Richmond is a possibility that remains. But how can we as fans, knowing that there's so much bulk on the front end of the schedule, look at the results and not freak out, given that, I mean, you know, you're two and three, you're three and two, you played the toughest teams that you're going to play on your schedule, save Miami. How do you evaluate that? And as Whit Babcock, as the athletic director, I mean, are we going to go in to the Syracuse game with an interim head coach? How do you make that evaluation as well? I don't know. I'm asking you guys. Well, I don't think you'll go into the Syracuse game with an interim head coach. I have a, I, I, I find it hard to believe that Wit would fire Justin in the middle of the season. Um, in, it'd have in to March, get real. It'd have to get real bad. Sorry. Yeah, it it would have really to. Really it bad. would have to be honestly just absolutely hideous in terms of on the field, off the field, in the locker room. And, and if you do that, I'm not even sure who you make the interim. Like I, there isn't a clear cut guy on, on the staff that is capable of being an interim head coach, but to your original question, Andrew tech would have to be at worst three and two. Um, and they would have to look, they would have to look good in both of those losses. So let's say they, they go out there against Carolina and they lose by one score and then they beat up on middle Tennessee. They beat West Virginia. They beat Richmond and they lose to Notre Dame again by one score. I think that is, that is the worst you can do through the first five games. If you want a majority of people to feel like the season still has some life. Now, if you go out there and go three and two, and you get the doors blown off against Carolina, and then you get the doors blown off again at home against Notre Dame. Uh, uh, I don't know if you can sell that one. Um, so it's it's a bit subjective. Um, everyone's got their own definition of it, but that's kind of how I see it. They would have to lose those games in close fashion. They would have to look good doing it for me to feel like, okay, this team, you know, that they had a, a grueling start to the season. Now they get to face some teams that they're a bit more on even footing with. Um, and, and they have a chance to, to maybe go on a, a run here and win two, three, four in a row. Uh, but if they go out there and get their and just get absolutely pantsed by Notre Dame and, and Carolina or even West Virginia, then if, if people are going to give up on this season real quick. Yeah. I, I People are gonna people are gonna look at this through whatever lens they wanna look through it too. I mean, the fan base is so divided at this point. Like Fuente could Fuente and Tech could go three and two through the first five, like Ricky's alluded to, lose a couple games by one score. And you can have the the anti Fuente portion of the fan base saying, Well, we should be on even ground with Notre Dame's program in year six, and we should be beating North Carolina handily in year six. Um uh, people are going to look at this through whatever lens they want to anyway. It's really going to be and, and I wouldn't progress necessarily, for win. I wouldn't necessarily disagree with those people in the sense that, yes, through year six of your program, you should be at a level where you can handle that. 
But given where the program is at the moment and ignoring where the program should be, if they're able to look competitive in losses against those teams, I think it would be a sign of improvement. Yeah, almost certainly. And I think it's a little bit crazy, right? It's very interesting how in these first five weeks, as Ricky said, we're going to learn so much. And the difference between what could end up being a positive report card and a negative report card for Justin Fuente through five weeks could come down to a play here, a play there, because I don't know how satisfied people are going to be with keeping it close. Maybe keeping it close against North Carolina if North Carolina is like preseason number nine. I think Notre Dame at home, I think West Virginia on the road are going to have to be wins. And these are wins that could come down to a play here, a play there. I mean, even going back to last season, think about how different the perspective on the team would be for Justin Fuente's overall job performance. If say a timeout wasn't called before a field goal against Liberty and they come away with victory and the offense is able to get one or two more first downs against Miami in a game that the defense controlled. My thing too, is that, strictly looking at September 3rd through the Notre Dame game on October 9th, North Carolina is going to be ranked pretty high to start the year. They lost a lot. I'm not totally convinced that North Carolina is going to be any better or even marginally or a lot better than they were a year ago. They lost two 1000 yard rushers, three of their top four pass catchers, and they lost some guys on the offensive line. Their defense will be really good. And of course they have Sam Howell, a quarterback who's the best quarterback in the country coming into the year. That's good. But is it enough to cover up at least in the first part of the season, some struggles or perceived struggles they could have offensively. Right. Um, I'm not totally sure that North Carolina is better than they were a year ago. I promise I have a point here. Um, West Virginia. I'm not totally sure that West Virginia is, that tough of a non-conference game, even in Morgantown and Notre Dame is not the same team that they were a year ago. They're not going to be playoff good. Ian books moved on. Um, They have some pass catchers that have moved on. They've lost some guys defensively in the front seven, which is going to be significant. Um, So my point being here, if tech doesn't look competitive against North Carolina, doesn't look competitive on the road in Morgantown, doesn't look competitive in Lane Stadium against Notre Dame on October 9th. Like, what are we what are we doing here? <laughs> because these teams aren't as good, in my opinion, as they were last year. Tech didn't play Notre Dame last year. I get that. But, I mean, that North Carolina team that Virginia Tech saw last year, in my opinion, is much better than the one they're going to see in the opener on September 3rd. If that game was in mid-October, early November, maybe I feel differently about the matchup. But Lane Stadium in the opener – I think that's the time you want to get that North Carolina team. If Notre, Dame, can, if Notre Dame's not going to be as good either. I, yeah. I just, that, that's how I feel about it. And if Tech doesn't look competitive, I, it, it's going to be rough. It's going to be a rough look. If you can't hang in there with North Carolina in the first week when the vast, vast, vast majority of their offensive production is gone and they're trying to string things together for the first time against an opponent not in Carolina blue and white. On the road. On the After road, a year and a half for the first time in a year yep. and a half. Yep. Night game, you're never going to beat them. Agree. That's Agreed. the reality. So let's so let's put this on the flip side because I'm always the pessimist. So let's look at the yep. let's look at the opti- the optimistic side, right? Let's say Tech goes into the Notre Dame game four zero, 
you want to talk about uh, riding high into a, into a big game at Lane Stadium, that's how you do it. Yeah. If they if they're able to beat North Carolina, which Mike raises good points, they lost a ton of production on the offensive end. Um, I'm I'm not sure that Sam Howe is the best quarterback in the country, but I'll, I'll defer to Mike on that one because he's probably done a bit more research on it. Top than I three, have. top three, anyway. I, I feel like any guy Alabama or Oklahoma is 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 someone that, like just, just throw in X at that school and they're going to be. Fair. Um. But no, like if you go out and beat Carolina, Middle Tennessee, you you win what's going to be a big game for some of the middle to older fans against yep. Morgantown. A lot of uh, some of the younger fans are not going to realize the impact of that game. This is the first time that Tech has been to Morgantown in a long time. Yep. There is a reason why Virginia Tech has not been to Morgantown in a very long time, okay? Like th- th- this game this game is going to matter a lot to the donors and it's going to matter a lot to some of the older and the middle-aged members of the fan base. So if tech is able to beat West Virginia, that's going to put a lot of people in some really good moods. If you can get to that Notre Dame game at four, no, you, you really give yourself a chance to set up this season for tremendous success. That is an exceptionally uh, optimistic, cherry, rosy look at the start of the schedule. Um, But I'm not going to say it's impossible because it isn't impossible. It is doable. This tech team is, has some talent at the starting positions. I don't think the depth is there, but if they're able to get their stuff together for the first four weeks of the season, you could really start to set things up. But with depth issues, again, having this stretch at the beginning of the season is probably better than any possible alternative, that being backloaded or spread out throughout the course. My only, my, only, you can, my only issue with that, though, is, Andrew, is that you have road trips to Atlanta, Boston, and Miami – within a month in a month's time yeah that's that's going to be grueling like those those trips are not easy i know there's a, a a game against duke sandwiched in between there but finishing up with four of your last five on the road three of which are are flights that's yeah i mean you're not wrong yeah not like wrong. i mean i'm not and, and i remember when this schedule came out i said shit they're gonna have to go to boston and Miami in twice in the matter of three weeks. They have an Atlanta trip on the front end of that. It's not an easy end of the schedule, but at least the, the terms of, in terms of talent that they're going to be playing against, the back end of the schedule should be more manageable than the front end. I yes. think. I think after, in my opinion, after Notre Dame. I mean, look, the Miami game is going to be tough. I expect Miami. Miami is the most talented. And the team UVA in the game is not not a pushover either. No, I, I think the outside of going on the road to Miami on November 20th, I think once you get past the Notre Dame game, the toughest game remaining, in my opinion, is at Boston College. It's on a short week after you go to Atlanta to play Georgia Tech. Virginia Tech should beat Georgia Tech, but you're going to Chestnut Hill on a short week after that. It's a Friday night game against Boston College. Um, that is a team that was better than expected last year. They have a good quarterback who's hard Jeff to bring Halfley's down. Jeff Halfley's lit. Jeff Halfley is, he's awesome. He's lit. Um, 
and I think that that will be a pretty tough game. But, you know, after Notre Dame looking at this, like the pit game on October 16th, it seems like whoever the home team is generally wins that game. Think back to a couple of years ago, that tech pit game was a toss up and tech shot him out in lane. Um, tech got run ready? over by Pittsburgh last year. Yeah. yeah we uh, sat there and drank with Dave Perks. Remember that? That was a great. Andrew. That, was, that was a wonderful day. Yeah. Jimmy Cleveland. Yeah. Oh yes. Oh yeah. Yeah. James Pryatel was there as well. Yeah. That was good. Um, but whoever, whoever's at home wins that game, Syracuse in Blacksburg, Syracuse is terrible and getting them in Blacksburg, weird things don't happen as often as they do in the carrier dome when you play Syracuse. So that's good. Georgia Tech is still in the middle of a rebuild. You've got to win that game. I mentioned the BC game. Duke's going to be the worst team in the Coastal. You've got to win that game in lane. At Miami, brutal game. At UVA, no pushover. Um, but look, if Tech gets through September 4 0, again, huge if, they can't go any worse than 9 and 3. I think 9 and 3, if you start the year 4 0, I think 9 and 3, honestly, would be a little bit of a disappointment because you're probably losing a game in there that you weren't expecting to, right? You might be losing that Boston college game. I'm- Which you have to, given the history of Justin Fuente, you have to bank on them losing at least one game that you're not expecting them to lose. Yep. So at least one. So go. Know. So who is it? Is it? And I, I didn't Boston think we were going to get into it. Okay. Well, so, okay. Here, here's my thought process. I think that if you're Justin Fuente, unless you have a 10 win season where one of the losses are on this list, you are screwed. Because if you lose to Georgia Tech, Syracuse, or Duke, that just drives home the, what is basically true, narrative that Virginia Tech always is going to drop one against inferior competition. That's not sustainable. That's one of the biggest complaints that could be toast. That being said, I mean, you're going you're gonna to lose probably two of Miami, West Virginia, North Carolina, and Notre Dame. You split those two, you win Georgia Tech, Syracuse, and Pitt. That puts you at five. You're going to beat Richmond. Hopefully going to beat Middle Tennessee State. That puts you at seven. So that means what? You need to beat at least one of Boston College or Pittsburgh. Am I forgetting anyone on the schedule? Virginia? I mean, there's a path to eight wins if you can split those first two and take care of businesses against the teams that you really should beat. And that gives you a little bit of leeway against the Virginia, Pittsburgh, and Boston College segment of the schedule. But again, that requires, A, knocking off two teams that probably should beat you. Yeah. Not necessarily guaranteed, potentially not even likely. There's there's certainly a path to eight. My my thing is that if... If Fuente found a way, I, I don't think he'll lose to Middle Tennessee or Richmond. Right? <laughs> I hope. Right? Okay. Hey, no, no telling, dude. Let's go. <laughs> let's go to the eight. Okay, let's go. A school in Virginia that we haven't lost to yet. I know. So, I know. They're still on the list. Let's let's talk about strictly the bad, uh, what I would like to call the bad ACC teams, right, that are on the schedule. Syracuse, Georgia Tech, Duke, and uh, – We'll throw Virginia in there, not because they're bad, but because it's a rivalry game. If Fuente loses one or two of those four, you got to fire him. You got to fire him. Syracuse is horrible. They're going to be horrible. Duke is going to be horrible. Um, Duke is last in the ACC. Syracuse is second to last in the ACC in returning production. They are going to be atrocious. They were not very good last year, and they lost pieces. You cannot lose either one of those two games. You can't lose the rivalry game. 
to UVA and you can't lose to a Georgia Tech team that's in the middle of a rebuild. Um, Georgia Tech, I could see, I could see them letting it slide, saying, "Okay, it's a tough road game, whatever." I, I don't. You can't lose. You can't lose one of those games. You certainly can't lose two, and that's going to be tough because Fuente always loses one that he shouldn't, and if he gets through September unscathed, like. What's the one he shouldn't lose? Pittsburgh's going to be decent. They return a lot. Boston College is going to be decent. They had a good team last year. Miami should be good. It, at the very least, we know they're talented. Um, and UVA's got a decent team. So you look at the rest of the ACC teams from October forward, it's going to be one of those four that I mentioned. Like, you can't, you can't lose... You can't lose to Syracuse. You can't lose to Georgia Tech. You can't lose to Duke. You can't lose to UVA. You certainly can't lose two of them. If you lose more than one, you uh, they got to fire them, regardless of the start. That's my opinion. I mean, where we stand right now, though, I, I do look at this Virginia Tech roster, especially with the talent on the offensive side of the ball, but the questions at the quarterback position, the questions with depth on both sides of the ball, and you look at the schedule, and it is not out of the question that this team could knock off some of the better teams on the schedule. But that being said, things spiral in the wrong direction and it could get ugly. They're a quarterback injury away. Oh yeah. hundred percent. Oh God. I don't even want to think about it because, and unfortunately with Braxton's history, it's not going to surprise anyone if he gets hurt, right? No, it's not. No one, no one's going to be shocked if he gets hurt. So let's say Braxton does go down at some point, which you almost have to expect right if That's we're what's happening if we're being if we're being realists you know not that we're wishing injury on the guy cuz we're certainly not but if we're being realists about about what Braxton is as a player they're going to run him into the ground that's what Justin does with his quarterbacks so is is Connor Blumber going to be the backup no it became him <laughs> Okay, here's the way I would I, honestly feel more comfortable with 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 Kadem. I really would. Here's the way I see it: if Braxton gets hurt, which would be, in all likelihood, a product of the offensive scheme that Virginia Tech runs, it would come to no surprise to anyone, as you previously mentioned, Ricky. And the season goes to hell. The staff gets fired. And when they look at themselves in the mirror at the end, they can know that their inability to go into the transfer portal and get a competent backup in case this clearly likely scenario, at least somewhat likely scenario happens. I mean, they made their own bet at that point, right? They're, Taj Bullock is the only quarterback on the roster that weighs more than 210 pounds. <sighs> he's a true freshman. And he's a true freshman. Yeah. Like, I'm not... I'm not like someone who says you have to have tanks at quarterback, although it, it can be helpful, but you at least want guys that are burnt, you know, built kind of sturdy, right? Well, Braxton is 6'1", 2-0, Blumrick 6'1", 2-0, Kadem 6'3", 180, soaking wet, and then Taj is 6'4", 230. Cornelson needs to... And this is going to be a challenge. This is a challenge. <laughs> not not thought, exactly I thought, what I was going to say. I thought the way I finished the sentence was a lot better. <laughs> not exactly what I was going to say. But uh, he needs to – it's, it's going to be hard because Burmeister is an athlete. We know he's an athlete. Yeah, I know. They've been reminding us all damn offseason how much of an athlete he is. They cannot – 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 run him in. Right, we got like another month to prognosticate this, but I want to get to one more thing before we wrap it up here. 
Gunner Givens commits four-star offensive lineman, 6'5", 270, interior guy from Lord Balatot. So right down the block here, Virginia Tech, as they have shown themselves to be incapable of doing at least over the past two cycles, keeps a cornerstone recruit from Virginia home. 135th nationally, fifth recruit in the state of Virginia, fourth at his position. Virginia Tech now sits 15th nationally in the recruiting rankings, third in the ACC. I love the pickup. Here's my question for you guys. Buy or sell, Virginia Tech is able, once this is all said and done, once signing day passes, to stay in the top 25, 26 nationally and top four or five in the ACC. I'm going to say, I'm going to say yes. I think they'll be right. I think if, you know, the big if is getting these guys a signing day, of course, but they're going to have to pick up another, probably another four star or two. I know they're in the running for a few. Um, I, I think they'll be right in that 24 to 27 range. I, I think they'll definitely be in the top 30 unless they lose some commitments here. Um, but, you know, then again, they might pick up some guys we're not expecting them to pick up too. So I don't know. I'll say they finish in the top 30 but I think they're right in that mid-20s range. I think it's an improvement from the last two years. I'm going to borrow a strategy from all of the Reddit stock traders, and I'm going to hold, or as some people like to say, <laughs> hodl. Come on. <laughs> Dude, I, I, I just don't know. Like It's early. Still. It's it, like it, it would shock it, it would only shock people who haven't been paying attention if one of Gunner, Ramon, or Xavier doesn't sign. How, like is that am I am I wrong for thinking that that's a possibility? Because I don't think I am. Well, the past is prologue. Obviously, that is exactly so. So unfortunately, you almost have to like bank on at least one of those guys being shaky towards signing day all it takes is to lose one of those especially if it's gunner or ramon if you lose either one of those two then you're automatically dropped and then like we talked about on the last pod the main reason that they're so high in the rankings is because they've already committed 19 players so they're going to drop naturally um which I mean, if you're gonna, that's why I gave them some leeway. I gave them ten spots. Well, I I don't think they're gonna finish in the top twenty-five. Um, I think it's best do, case scenario. If they do, I'll come on the pod and say I was wrong. Yeah, I think top twenty-five um, is best case scenario. Yeah. Now, top thirty. It. I. I. I'll buy. I'll buy top thirty. Uh, I mean, again, with who getting, they have. <laughs> getting getting Gunner and Ramon is going to I think it's going to be a lot easier to keep those guys committed because they're in state guys, especially with Gunner, because Jesse Hansen is already on the roster, who also went to Lord Botatot. So you have some familiarity there already. Um Ramon is close, so you know tech is gonna is gonna be on him through the entire process. Um I don't know about Alex Orjai. Um it's it, 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 any any guy from that far away is just kind of hit or miss. Same thing with with Johnny Dixon. So this is the I mean it, it's so hard to project where a, 
of class is going to finish in in July, just because of how how much these guys flip flop now. That that just is how it is. Indeed. Indeed. What do you think? What do you think, Andrew? Yeah, yeah. You can't just ask us a question and not sell. Say if you're buying or selling. Well, I mean, there's a couple more four star recruits on the board. If, if I'm not mistaken, guys like Cam Johnson, a couple of big targets there. I think Virginia Tech, in terms of the bulk, I mean, the three star guys, the lower end targets, that's filled out. And it's a matter of retention, as you mentioned. And can they add one or two more guys? I think if they add another four star and there's not massive attrition from one of the higher level guys, being in the top 25, top 30, I mean, basically being back in normal Virginia Tech recruiting area and not being the 76th nationally or even the 35th to 40th nationally, I think you can stave yourself off of that. I think you can return to what has been the standard for Virginia Tech's recruiting. But as Ricky mentioned, attrition is a strong possibility. So right now I'm going to buy getting back to the normal range. Yeah, I think I'm there too. I think I'm if there. They, if they get in the top 25, it will be a very good class, a very very well job done for for Justin and his staff. And we also have to bring up too, we were sitting here talking about whether or not Justin's going to be on the hot seat. If he gets fired in November, that's all she wrote for this class. Yep. Kids kids will flee. Yep, that's what that's happens. At least, at least like a third of them. Probably more. Yeah, <laughs> probably more. Yeah. All right, guys, got anything to say before we wrap it up here? Rate, review, subscribe. Um, listen to Andrew's show on ESPN Radio. Uh, Mike is doing the BC podcast. He writes for SOS. He writes for 37 other outlets that I don't remember all the names of. Um, I'm writing on Dulles District. Uh, I think that's just about it. I'm going I'm to try and play some golf this weekend, I think. There you Same. go. Same. I've only played one round this uh, this summer, uh, so I need to get back out there. But with the new job, it's been busy and all that stuff. So, yeah, I think I'm going to have some time to go play this weekend. Yeah, there you go, Rick. Anything from you, Mike? No, nah, I'm good. You guys covered it. <laughs> uh, all right. my. Uh... Now that I stole rate, review, subscribe, Mike has just got nothing at the end of these pods. I mail it in. <laughs> All right, what do I got? I guess shout out to the Milwaukee Bucks. Big shout out to the Milwaukee Bucks. I got a lot of family in Wisconsin. My entire mom's side of the family is from there. First championship in Milwaukee since 1971. So I was totally rooting for the Suns, but I have mad respect for the Bucks in the sense that they did it the right way. Um, not a big fan of the super teams. Uh, happy for Giannis. He's worked hard. He's earned it. Yeah, talk about flipping the script in terms of a narrative with a coach. Had... Kevin Durant's foot been behind the line on that final buzzer shot in game seven. Mike Budenholzer is looking for a job. Yeah, I thought it was so funny that we were talking about Mike Budenholzer being gone like a month and a half ago, and they just won a title. And now he's got yeah. lifetime job security. <laughs> I mean, we were talking about Fuente, though. You know, a ball here, a ball there. That could change his job perspectives. Now, I don't think there's anything he can do this season to get him lifetime job security, but... Pay attention to the little things this season, folks, because uh, that can be the big indicator here, whether we have a new coach come 2022 or not. But, hey, we still got to play 2021 before we even talk about 2022. And 
We'll preview it all in the coming weeks. As always, thank you to our good friends over at Main Street Pharmacy for making this all possible. We will be back next week with another wonderful jam-packed episode. You're not going to want to miss it. Thanks for listening, folks. As always, go Hokies. <laughs>